Howdy, this is Benjamin Vogt, the pissed-off prairie guy from Lincoln, Nebraska, and Monarch Gardens, LLC. You are listening to 1590 WCGEO Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Noack Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. After 20 years, still Chicago's only deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Saturday morning on 1590 WCGO. Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Clean beaches and sparkling sand. He won't make her double dig in her garden if she doesn't make him try broccoli aromatherapy. Here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. And Mike's live, says Brandon. And now Facebook live. Everything's live here. We're live. Twitter will be live momentarily. Hey, we're going to be able to do that at some point, aren't we? Go live on Twitter? Mm -hmm. Not yet, though. Not yet. No, that, that ain't happened exactly yet. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show. You know what's good about this day, even though it's sort of dreary and wet? It's in the 50s, mm-hmm. uh, and that's good because I got plants I'm going to be slamming in my garden. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> got I a should, few of those myself. And, and I shouldn't be saying that in front of uh, a, yet another meta horticulturist here. Cover your ears. <laughs> mega. Actually, I said meta. Mega horticulturist, and that's Scott Stewart from the Millennium Park Foundation, uh, formerly the director of the Lurie Garden at Millennium Park. I'm see, I'm I'm getting all this stuff right. It's because I wrote all this stuff at two a.m. last night, and it's still or is with that me. one a.m. It was right one a.m. and then it became two a.m. But then it became one a.m. again. What? Hey, by the way, you're late for church if you're listening to this. Okay? No, you're not. You're early for church. You know, go get breakfast. This just is daylight saving time messes with people. And we should probably do a a rant on that at some point, because there's a lot of people think it's just a waste of money. Um, And there are other people who think it's it's great. The greatest thing since sliced bread. I I'm you know, we I think of it as us trying once again to control Mother Nature. We think we can control everything. We'll talk to Scott Stewart about that in a second when he's here um and he is here in the studio and he's just kind of listening and nodding he's hiding now. in the background he's right hiding now. here right uh he wants he wants to monitor us to see what we're talking about so that <laughs> if you know he not, is standing by the door if nine exactly if nine fifteen shows up he can duck out of here but it feels to me like we just have to mess with things now maybe during the war it made more sense i'm not sure it maybe it did um maybe it makes more sense for farmers uh, I don't know. We're kind, of, yeah, because there's just there's so much pro and con mm-hmm. on it, and I think we are being conned in a way now in the 21st century. But oh well, yeah, I don't have any control over it. Except and to- and the fact is, you know, now we've extended it. We don't change it until November. It used to be before Halloween, and mm-hmm. then all the kids would be 3 p.m. And the kids would be trick-or-treating in the dark so we went no that's not really a good idea okay so let's move it back and now we move it up earlier you know soon it's just going to be the month of december will be daylight saving I think time we just leave it that way yeah 
Because uh, at 4.30 today, I'm going to be really grumpy about it. <laughs> well, I'm going to be uh, digging in the dark at 4.30, uh, trying to get some uh, of my plants slammed in like the ground. Would you like to borrow a headlamp? Um, I, I've got flashlights and stuff. <laughs> There'll be lights out there. I, I, in fact, I do most of my best gardening in the dark in the evening. Not in the morning, because I'm not a morning gardener, as you know. That's not for me. It should be, but it isn't. And, yeah. and uh, it's too late to change uh, at my tender age. So I I saw, you know, th- I'm just one of those late afternoon guys, and then the sun sets, and then you can't find any of your tools, and you're just sort of like, where'd Mike go? And then you're stepping on the plants you just put in the ground and stuff like <laughs> that, and just like, but, I, but I'm ready. I got my plants. I've dug up some of this stuff. I'm trying to, I'm moving in native direction here. Excellent. And uh, more and more getting, I had a couple of currant bushes, ribies mm-hmm. that um, are not native and they just sat there, you know, growing and that I had to prune each year and they're never had any fruit. Nothing interesting. Well, I don't think they're, they're female. <laughs> so that that's probably the problem there. Uh, and they didn't do anything. I said, you're gone. I actually ripped out a boxwood. You're out of here. Um, it's just, I, I want to do something different. It's and and got some great natives to put in. I got some great natives to put in, and so that's mm-hmm. what we're doing. Hey, welcome. I want to thank everybody who was at the uh, the big McHenry County, um, oh gosh. Green Living Expo. Thank you. Uh, Green Living Expo. There's so many of them, as you say. And no offense to you guys out in McHenry, because we had a great time there. There's so many green fairs and green expos, the, the names just get all jumbled in our heads. Uh, but Kim Hankins and all the folks out there uh, treated us great. It was fun. We did a lot. Go to go to the Mike Novak show on Facebook. We did a bunch of videos, including bowling for compost with pumpkins. Um, that <laughs> that was the highlight of the afternoon, at least. Not I'm the so, day, but the not, afternoon. Not the show, but yeah, the 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 afternoon. That was the highlight. It's, it's I really enjoy, and I, misting and chilly and windy, and Mike's out there bowling pumpkins. Bowling, bowling pumpkins. You got to go to the Mike Novak Show on Facebook and see that. Today, we've got Scott Stewart. We mentioned that. He's the executive director of the Millennium Park Foundation. Um, we have no idea what that's about. It's a very secretive organization, secret handshakes, secret um, signs, and all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. And they He's graf- wearing a weird hat today. Graffiti yeah. and stuff all over the place. So uh, we'll tell, ask him what that's all about. Uh, in the second hour, also very—I mean, this is a great show. We got two really good guests: Carrie Leiterson, who's a reporter for uh, Midwest Energy News. We're going to be talking fracking. We're going to be talking solar energy. Great stuff. Stick around for that. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color perms and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty, you no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. 
DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Hi, folks. The Mike Novak Show is moving. No, it's not. Well, we won't be live on Saturday mornings anymore. Yes, but we'll still be right here live on Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Just like the old days. You mean last week? Yeah, something like that. So, what's the deal? The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is leaving Saturdays and staying on Sundays right here on 1590 WCGO starting November 11th. I get it. You get it in. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Sundays from 9 to 11, only on Smart Talk. I'm Mike Jackson, host of Mike Jackson Outdoors Radio, Sunday mornings, 7 to 9 a.m. here on 1590 WCGO. This is the dawning of the age. I got your harmony and understanding for you right here, pal. Uh, no, the reason I play that is because it is kind of our our new age here. No, not new age in that sense. Not capital. Not newage. Um, the Mike Novak show now Sundays only, only, only. Uh, uh, but that's okay. That's actually cool. <laughs> it's like a, it's like fifty percent less work for Mike and Peggy. Yay! <laughs> Uh, and, uh, uh, starting today it's nine to 11 and then we don't have to explain to people, well, see on Saturdays it's at 10, but on Sundays it's at nine. Uh, and it's actually a good thing for us. So, uh, we're, we're glad you're with us and we're glad we got our friends on Facebook live and we've got our glad we got our friends, uh, listening on, uh, the stream, whatever, uh, audio stream you might be on. And sometimes actually real AM radio. How cool is that? Ooh, um, that would be on 1590 on the AM dial. Exactly. Chicago's smart talk. So, uh, be with us. And, uh, later today, I mean, you heard Mike Jackson just now, Mike Jackson, I'm going to have to do a Mike Jackson impersonation here at some point for the show. <laughs> and, um, I hope he's listening actually. Uh, and, uh, and, <laughs> And we've got Richie Z coming on, uh, who will be here at, at noon. Uh, yes, Brandon, were you about to say something about that? Automotive Heaven is where you'll be if you listen to Richie Z. Give that man a ding. And, of course, Playtime with Sid. And Bill. And Bill. Featuring, featuring Carrie Kendall. Featuring Carrie There you go. Give them a ding, and they're on at uh, 1 p.m. So there's uh, reasons uh, to stick around all day long on uh, Chicago Smart Talk. But right now... We're very excited to have a very fancy person here in the studio. You, you didn't. You're not in that's, your. That's a lot of lead up. <laughs> you, you have a whole bunch of disappointment ahead of you here. So. Uh, oh, look. Oh, does Pat, that mean we're leaving? <laughs> you know, uh, Pat Fitzgerald says I, uh, that he knows I want to get back to my hippie days. Uh, and I, the truth of the matter is, I actually kind of missed those. I was like just after the hippie thing, and uh, I was a. I was pretty Republican in those days anyway. The older I get, the more liberal I get. Uh, that's, that's, and, you know, I'm sort of the opposite of the average American. I don't know why that is, but it's just, it's just going that way. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I did. But but then, of course, I ran a theater company for ten years in Chicago. So you know, you're going to be a little out there if you're. you're <laughs> I, I can't. There are a lot of theater stories I cannot tell on the radio. I, I am not allowed to say nope. them. On the radio. Uh, Scott Stewart is here, and like I said, he's not in his tuxedo, but he is the executive director of the Millennium Park Foundation. Um, and you've been doing this now. The last time you were with us, which which is almost exactly a year ago, mm-hmm. it was the 27th of November, I think, of last year. So we're like 49 weeks, not quite 52. Um, so sue me. And uh, But at that point, you were the director of Lurie Garden in Correct. Millennium Correct. Park. Um, and so at that point, obviously, you were just like itching and lobbying for this new position. Or, or had you already been appointed? When did, when did that happen? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It was it was it was no it was no uh, monster climb to the top, so to say. <laughs> so it, well, that had nothing to do with it. Uh, I actually. Uh, yes. Yeah, so about a year ago when I was here, I was uh, director of Lurie Garden. Yeah. And um the gentleman who actually brought me on in that position, this uh, wonderful gentleman by the name of Ed Euler, yeah, he, uh, yeah. the master planner of Millennium Park in many ways, mm-hmm. he uh, was in the process of retiring. And uh, the board of directors and Ed had asked me to step in for a while. And so I was doing sort of both jobs for a mm-hmm. while. And then apparently I either <laughs> did one job too well or one job not well <laughs> yeah. enough. Yeah, there you oh, go. And, uh, and ended up as uh, as executive director for the foundation. Okay, we need to establish what the difference is. I mean, as as director of the Lurie Garden, you came in here and, and we had a wonderful conversation, waxing poetic on what gardens mean in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually mm-hmm. want to get into that a little bit. I mean, Absolutely. you haven't forgotten all that stuff as you've moved forward. You still have that. And it, as a matter of fact, from what I understand, as the executive director of the Millennium Park Foundation. You've been going all over the world and speaking and probably touring other gardens. Absolutely. And you're doing a little comparing, I, I would imagine. Absolutely. I take good notes when I do that. See, <laughs> see what works well overseas and uh-huh. then see what I want to bring back to Millennium Park. All right. Yeah. And all right. So let's say uh, a year in, what what strikes you about the place of Millennium Park in the world, in in the pantheon of gardens in the world? Oh, well, two things. One, and we were chatting a little bit earlier off air about this, no one knows what the Millennium Park Foundation is. That's true. Very mysterious organization. Which is good and sometimes not so good. Uh But two, I'm just amazed every day. I mean, I have been a lover of Millennium Park, a lover of everything that is the public art architecture, Mm -hmm. landscape architecture, of Millennium Park since its opening in 2004. But to understand, to see the inner workings, to see how the partnership between the foundation and the city of Chicago work to make the park work, mm-hmm. to experience through other through interaction with other people, other cultures, how they interpret the park, how they interpret the landscape in the park, the art in the park, it's phenomenal. It's unbelievable how popular and how captivating this little 24 and a half acres of art park, sculpture park mm-hmm. in downtown Chicago is. It's known around the world as the model for art architecture and sculpture parks. Really? Absolutely. Oh, okay. I, I, I wouldn't have thought that. But uh, one of the things, one of the advantages, obviously, of Millennium Park that a lot of the parks in the world don't have is Lake Michigan. 
Yes. <laughs> you yes. can't you can't yes. reproduce Lake Michigan. And that is that's part of the magic, that Millennium Park magic is that sort of on your east side you're backed up against Lake Michigan. On the west side you're backed up against that beautiful skyline of Chicago. And here in the middle of it you've got all of this wonderful art and architecture that is iconically Chicago mm-hmm. that is only found even, in even, Chicago. You know, you're saying I got iconically Chicago, even Cloudgate or the Bean, as folks call it, which is I think appropriate. Yep. The the popular name has got to be the one that sticks. <laughs> so, but even the Bean has become iconically Chicago, hasn't it? Abs- it? it absolutely has. It absolutely has. You don't think it? You wouldn't think of it that way, but for some, because I think it because it reflects the skyline and it re- reflects the park and the lake. It. It incorporates all of that. I, I have I have groups of of public space and park professionals come to the park from all over the world. I just hosted a group from um, from uh, actually two groups last in the last two weeks from various areas in China, and they want to obviously tour the park. They want to hear about how it's funded. They want to hear all this this technical stuff that all of us park people love. But the first thing they want to do is they want to go to the Bean and they want to take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's like, hey, let's do a selfie at the Bean. And actually, well, at the Bean, you don't have to do a selfie. You just take the picture of the Bean, and, it, 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 you know, that's part of the deal. The Bean was the first selfie, wasn't it? We we like to say it's kind of home of the selfie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It is. I Absolutely. didn't realize you said that. All right, good. And I saw a photo on, on Facebook a week or two ago of the designer of the Bean came back and took his first selfie in front of it. Absolutely. Anish Kapoor. Oh, my goodness. He came back first time since he'd been back since 2006. Mm-hmm. So when the part when the when the sculpture was dedicated in 2006, first time he'd been back, we took his first official selfie <laughs> with Cloudgate. I had a wonderful chance to hang. I mean, here, here's here's here I am, an ecologist and horticulturalist who is probably better at digging holes than running a nonprofit. We'll say, yeah. But I'm hanging out with Anish Kapoor. <laughs> And I'm taking a selfie with Anish Kapoor and talking about the the social and cultural impacts of of his sculpture in the park. Very cool. Mm-hmm. That is cool. All right. Well, while we're name dropping here, Peggy, we have to we 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 dropped the name last week, but we happened last week we had our photo taken with Marshall Field the fifth. Okay, that's talk about iconic Chicago. Yeah. Another ding. Yeah. Uh, we haven't seen the photos no, yet, so maybe no, they. We'll... I think they might have destroyed them. <laughs> but it was in. Did she? I'd the say, field. did she have film in her camera? But we don't do that anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Marshall Field in the Field Museum. Oh, oh, I I need that photo. I need awesome. that photo. Yeah, that's that's so. And that's and those are the kinds of things that are really fun when you can do that. And I don't get to do that very often. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've met a handful of really prominent, but I have had Pete Udolf. On my show, and hmm. if folks are listening, they don't know, uh, they might not know that Pete Udolph is one of the designers of the Lurie Garden in Millennium Park. Uh, and uh, I know him, and I was managed. I managed to talk to him. You know, if he he here's the deal with him. Uh, my show has been on Sundays for almost a decade now, mostly on Sundays when I'm not, you know, in the wilderness of the internet, and. Uh, He's always flying into town and flying out on Sunday morning, and that's when my show is like, hey, dude, just stick around for a couple hours so you can be on my radio show mm-hmm. again. But the reason I know him is through uh, Roy, uh, Roy Diblick, Diblick. who, who mm-hmm. grew 20,000 of the plants that are put into Millennium Park, the Lurie Garden, actually. 
and uh, and he introduced me to Pete. So there's again my brush with fame, and it's kind of fun when you meet these people. It it is it is well, and I I think it's it's obviously it's fun when you meet these people because they're cool people. Yeah. They've got this you know iconic art and they're just geniuses, you know that I kind mean, of thing. Yeah, but it's also very cool because you realize <laughs> most of these people are very down to earth, and they just love. The fact that people in Chicago love what they've done in Chicago. So Anish Kapoor was nothing but ear-to-ear smiles <laughs> as people were up and touching and interacting with and uh. taking selfies of his sculpture. When uh, when Jaume Plinza, uh, artist for Crown Fountain, was in town, he was ecstatic that kids in the summer were out playing in the Crown mm-hmm. Fountain. You have to you know, be, yeah. When, when Pete comes back to town, he's ecstatic about the way people interact with his garden in Lurie Garden. Yeah. It's it's just so amazing to see these artists who are just very proud of what they've done here in Chicago. And obviously myself, as executive director of the foundation, I am proud for what the foundation had done for Chicago in in helping to build Millennium Park. So it's it's really this wonderful sort of circle. Well, that brings us back to something you mentioned to us before we went on air today uh, about the foundation. And by the way, that's Scott Stewart, who is the executive director of the Millennium Park Foundation. Explain what you told us about how the foundation helped create this park and then turned it back to the people. I'm not quite sure I understand how that works. Absolutely. And that's all part of part of that bit of that mystery that I've been <laughs> in my first year. Are on you going to show me the secret handshake, by the way, before you we're, leave? We're today? not quite there yet. OK, we're not. We quite won't, there. We won't is, do it on Facebook Live. This but, is uh, all part of the vetting process. Oh, so okay. you'll get a secret letter oh. here. And mm-hmm. believe me, weeks, I cannot so. I cannot be trusted. That'll be <laughs> in another 48 weeks. <laughs> yes, it's a very long process. But yeah. Millennium Park Foundation, and this is one of the great things that in the last year that I have really come to kind of enjoy about the foundation is that it is one of Chicago's sort of best kept secrets. Mm-hmm. We're a private nonprofit organization Okay. that over the last, well, really, we're coming up on 20 years. The foundation was founded in 1998. So in anticipation year. of Correct. the park being built. Correct. Yes. Uh, so the 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 idea was that this private nonprofit organization would partner with the city of Chicago in the construction of this great monumental park, and the city and did what cities are great at. Cities are really good at building things like parking garages and utilities and uh, all you know as far as parking garages. All I got to do is mention the Obama Foundation. Yeah. That, that, that's yes. okay. midway. Right. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Hey guys, uh, <laughs> a, a garage that sticks up out of the ground. And you put put a, put a toupee, a green toupee on. That's that's not a green feature. Okay. Let's, exactly. We got to talk about that. Okay. Exactly. But so the city built all of the underground structure, the parking garage, the busway that runs underneath Millennium Park. The um, you know five stories of parking garage, the busway, and the two train lines, the uh, the the air rights for those train lines right. were all maintained by the city. Utilities were all installed by the city. Millennium Park Foundation, being a private nonprofit, raised on the order of two thousand or two hundred and fifty, two hundred sixty million dollars, and this was in two thousand and four <laughs> era dollars. Yeah, so it'd be closer to five hundred million today in private funds from private individuals, families, corporations, and foundations, all Chicago-based, a very small group. It was only 115 original donors. Yeah, do the math on that one. Yeah, I am. I <laughs> so am. The, the foundation, In my head only, though. The foundation <laughs> raised that money, 
we at the foundation engaged the artists, the architects, the engineers, and in essence built the features that you know today as Millennium Park. Mm -hmm. And then we gave that back over to the city of Chicago, to the people of Chicago as a gift from the Millennium Park Foundation to be operated by the city of Chicago. Okay. So in practical terms, however, it's the city of Chicago that's running that show, or is it? So today, the city of Chicago is operating Millennium Park Yeah, with the Millennium Park Foundation acting as sort of chief advisor and curator for all the art, architecture, and the cultural experiences that happen in the park. Okay. What scares me a little bit about that is you have this precious, precious resource now, you know, and, and by... By anybody's measure, Millennium Park is a huge success, oh, and it's one of the great features of the city of Chicago. So now, with uh, <laughs> with with great power comes great responsibility, as Spiderman says, uh, and the city has to maintain this. What happens if there's there's a conflict with you know somebody disagrees with the way the city's handling it? Is that where the Millennium Park Foundation steps in and says we're going to guide you a little bit here on this? Correct, mm-hmm. and that's and that's the foundation's job. That's my role and my seventeen board members. That's our role in the in the future of Millennium Park is to help the city, help guide the city in a in applying their resources to the park. Mm-hmm. We also continue to contribute to the park. We continue mm-hmm. to raise funds. Yeah. But it's our job to curate and guide and advise. All right. All right. And, uh, you know, they got they got some, obviously, some, as I said, fancy people in there because they can come <laughs> up with that kind of money. Uh, I'm sure they got some influence. All right. That's Scott Stewart. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll continue this in just a second. If you garden in or around Chicago and you don't have a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, I'm a little worried about you. That's because you're missing out on not only the garden magazine for our region, but one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, as well as articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, and What to Do in the Garden. Of course, there's my column on the inside back page of every issue, but into each life a little rain must fall. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. On newsstands everywhere, but go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. Here's the bad news. One out of every six Americans doesn't know where their next meal will come from. So what's the good news? You can help. This year, instead of decorating your holiday table with flowers, use an arrangement of fresh, uncut fruits and veggies, which can be then donated to a local food pantry. Share a photo of your centerpiece with the hashtag AmpleCenterpiece, and you could win a $50 gift certificate to Gardner's Supply Company. Go to ampleharvest.org slash holiday to learn more. 
Yeah, how's the demo going, Jim? It's going good, boss. You know, there's a lot of great material here. Where are we going to bring it? To the landfill. Where else? Seems like a bit of a waste. Maybe we should call up the Evanston Rebuilding Warehouse. The what? The Evanston Rebuilding Warehouse. You know, the place where you can donate reclaimed and reusable items for a tax deduction. Oh. And then people can buy those materials for their renovation or creative reuse projects. Well, what are we waiting for? Call them up. Sure, you can get all the info at Evanston. Whoa, Re- whoa, whoa. You do it. I'm the boss. The Evanston Rebuilding Warehouse. Online at EvanstonRebuildingWarehouse.org. Hi, this is Bill from Playtime with Sid and Bill featuring Carrie Kendall. One to three every Sunday right here on 1590 WCGO. KHJ Los Angeles. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. This ain't no hippie music. <laughs> this ain't no 21st century music either. <laughs> You're kidding me. All right, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malucky. That other voice you heard there was Scott Stewart. We were talking about our clock here. Clock in the studio. Okay. On the computer, which is the official atomic time, I've got uh, nine... 3501 right now. The clock in the studio says 934.18. So and, and I was able to catch it up a little bit. <laughs> so if so. anybody out there has a really good clock and wants to send it to us. Uh, just, uh, yeah, let us. No, I got it on the computer. We, we got it covered here. Uh, Scott Stewart from uh, the Millennium Park Foundation. Um, he has not shown me the secret handshake yet, so... Uh, uh, all in due time. All, Mike. all in due time. <laughs> I love this idea. All in due time. <laughs> My little pretties. All in due time. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, I want to get into a little uh, metaphysical discussion with you because you, I'm waste, I'm wasting you here. I mean, I love talking about uh, Millennium Park Foundation, but most of us are never going to live in that rarefied atmosphere. Okay, so it. I'm just being honest here. Um, but where we can uh, uh, connect is in your experiences as a horticulturist, as an ecologist. Um, and one of the things that's kind of, you mentioned earlier uh, at the top of the show, if you're listening at the top of the show, you heard uh, our mutual friend, Benjamin Vogt, who was on this show very recently, um, uh, who's a, a native plant guy out in Nebraska. Um, and there's, there's an oxymoron for you. And uh, and is fighting it. You know, he calls off. He calls himself the pissed off prairie guy because he's fighting this up. He's a salmon swimming upstream. He's fighting this battle. And part of that battle is this conversation now. And it's getting stronger uh, because I was to the garden professor's blog the other day and we were talking about that off air. And if you don't know what that is, uh, Dr. Linda Chalker Scott and. um uh, Gillum from uh, uh, used to be Minnesota's. It, it's not uh, Mark. It's um, I can't remember his first name. Uh, anyway, several people started this blog, and now they got like thirteen thousand followers on yeah. Facebook, and it's all about science, science mm-hmm. in the garden, which is great. That's the good part. The bad part is it gets a little contentious, and one of the the um, the arguments right now is about native plants and. There are guys like uh, Benjamin Vogt, who's, mm-hmm. I guess you'd call him a purist. And then there are the people on the other side who like uh, bring in whatever you want, 
As long as it, you know, I guess Pete Udolph is actually on that side. He says, mm-hmm. bring in whatever you want as long as it plays well together. Mm-hmm. And I guess Roy Diblick's on that side, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other people who say, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't mix natives and non-natives. I'm kind of wondering where you stand and how that, because if you, you know, now they're questioning the uh, the wisdom of Doug Tallamy, mm-hmm. who's become yeah. sort of iconic in the horticultural world of coming up with this idea that if we don't use natives, we're going to lose our native insect in animal populations. All right. And there's a lot of truth to what he says. So how far do we take each side and how does that fit into Millennium Park? What what can you do there? Well, it's it's interesting because I I have always I mean, I'm I'm trained as a scientist in a lot of ways and I'm trained to think and act and do much like a scientist does. And uh, so I often approach this question of natives versus non-natives versus cultivars. Uh, I won't say that other horrible term necessarily, that nativar term that I just despise. Well, you know, why do you despise that? No, I, that's important honestly, because a lot of people talk about nativars. Yes, I saw the, some yesterday at, at the Green mm-hmm. Living. It's, oh. it, it's, it's, it's a, it, it was an attempt I, – I believe it's an attempt for – the commercial entities, as well as people who don't truly understand horticultural sciences, mm-hmm. to wrap their heads around something that already exists. All a nativar is is a native plant cultivar. Why can't we just call it what it really truly is and remain in the same vocabulary as the horticultural sciences have already established? We don't have to invent something new. That's a uh, Often see uh, you often but see that's this marketing. That's how marketing. That works. is how marketing works, and right. that's very and that's often very scary because then you're starting to mix things like science and marketing and emotion and uh, personality and ego <laughs> into this bag <laughs> and, and shaking it up yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're you're shaking it up and you're aggravating people and you're polarizing the gardening world that you have to be a purist or you have to be a non-purist. Uh, a near native gardener, a mixing of native mm-hmm. and non natives. You have to you 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 create this polarized world of gardening, where then no one wants to fund the science to answer these important questions. Yeah, and no one wants to really listen to how our gardens are acting. No one wants to take the time. They're too busy fighting to take the time and listen and watch and learn from our gardens. Yeah, one of the things that happens is if you're growing a rose, if you're growing a boxwood, if you're growing a daylily, if you're growing uh, the wrong kind of iris, you're the enemy. And I don't know how we can throw that label at gardeners who are just trying to work in the earth. Exactly. Now, they, they have been, I would say, in the last hundred years, we kind of went down the wrong road to some degree. It was mm-hmm. let's bring in mm-hmm. the latest from overseas, and what what's happened with that? Well, I, I I know what gypsy moth and emerald ash borer, and and we lost all of our um, our uh, um, chestnut trees. American chestnuts mm-hmm. are gone, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what happens. And that's that's sort of the collateral damage for that. And the other collateral damage, as Doug Tallamy would say, is that we've lost. The attraction of our the plants that grew here and that were growing here for millennia, and we said, well, they're not good enough. They don't look fancy enough. So now we need they're something. Messy. They're, they're messy. They're messy or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, how do we get that balance? So I think I think it's 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 things like Lurie Garden, and I mean, yes, okay, I'm biased. I'm always going to plug Lurie mm-hmm. Garden, but it's it's projects, it's large public projects like the Lurie Garden, like the High Line, 
It's those types of projects that demonstrate the value of native plants and non-native plants in these urban and suburban contexts. We're not talking about restoration projects here. We're talking about land that is already disturbed, potentially in the ecological world, we might say beyond repair, so to say. Mm -hmm. As a restoration ecologist, it's, it's disturbed beyond its point of restoration. Well, I, again, I, my my buddy, uh, Sean King Zett, who now works for Davey Tree Care, I've known him for, mm-hmm. for um, almost 20 years, eh, more like 15, and he says there's no such thing as natural soil in an urban or suburban setting exactly. anymore. You, there's nothing. So you're, you're working with disturbed soil everywhere, and pretty much you know, 90%, 95%, 98% of the people who are gardening are working with something that wasn't there to begin with. And now you have to work with that. Exactly. And, and I think it's, it's understanding that concept, which is not an easy concept for people to understand because that requires people to think as, a, as, a, as an ecologist. It requires them to think beyond just simply what's above ground and what mm-hmm. is providing pollinator services or uh, insect feeding or homes for insects above ground. It requires them to think about the science of the rhizosphere below ground. Mm-hmm. It requires them to think in this very holistic way, which is actually very opposite the way that humans tend to think. We we like discrete buckets for things. Mm-hmm. And ecology doesn't and we're necessarily also work very that way. Visual. We are. We're very visual, and especially when it comes to gardens. And Benjamin Vogt makes uh, the case in in terms of talking about these critters. Who are we gardening for? Exactly. Is it for us or is it for them? And you've got to make up your mind, which which it is, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's just us, yeah, I guess you can plant it, all the boxwoods you want and knock yourselves out. But the problem is... Boxwoods don't exist without what's going on beneath the soil line. And, uh, you know, going back to my master garden, I'm not, you know, I don't have a degree in this, but going back, you know, I've been in 20 years of doing this, you learn stuff even by accident. And one of the things I've learned is it's it's 95 percent of what goes on happens below the soil Mm -hmm. line. And Mm -hmm. and you should always be looking Mm -hmm. there just to start. Mm -hmm. Um, But. As you point out, a lot of people don't understand that because mm-hmm. they're visually oriented and, and, and they are aware of pollinators because they see them flying mm-hmm. around. Exactly. And monarch butterflies because they're big and orange. They're, yeah. they're charismatic pollinators. And, and the yeah. garden yeah. center doesn't talk about what's going on underground. Exactly. Exactly. And actually, most horticulturalists aren't trained to think that way. And I'm talking about professional horticulturalists that have degrees and certifications. Hmm. They may take a class in soil science, and all that class really is about is soil chemistry and how to augment that soil mm-hmm. so that you can grow your grow whatever plant you want. It doesn't actually teach you about how to care and nurture and develop that soil as a natural biological organism. So getting back to Millennium Park, getting back yes. to Pete Udolph, getting yes. back to Roy Diblick, who put a lot of those plants in there, here's the issue I see. It's a wonderful learning tool is that in that people will walk in there and they will see plants that they've never grown in their gardens before. Here's the problem. Some of those are native and some of those are not. And what Pete did as an artist is create a representation of prairie, but it's not anywhere near what a prairie is, really. It is art. It is art in the garden. 
So there's natives and there's non-natives. And, and the point I'm going to make is that people will come in and there, and a lot of them, I think, are going to look at that and go, oh, those are native plants. That's what native plants look like. And it's not true. It's not true at all. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that is – so this is the new challenge. So gardens like Lurie Garden and Highline – change the perspective of how plants can be used in an urban and suburban garden space. And it made that style of gardening that's very uh, reminiscent or ecologically Mm -hmm. reflective of prairies popular. But now the challenge is to go to that next stage. And that next stage is the idea of how can we use these native plants and plants that provide tremendous ecological services in in highly popular landscapes. And my my uh, opinion on that would be uh, just get as many in there as you can. Let's start there. If we, you know, because I know, okay, I'm a guy who's been who knows all this stuff and understands uh, theoretically how this works. I'm not going to rip out everything in my garden and replace it with natives tomorrow. It, it ain't going to happen because mm-hmm. there's some plants I really like. I like my peonies, you know, peony. Your hydrangea. My hydrangea. Well, I've got an oak leaf and then I've got another one that's mm-hmm. not so native. So, you know, again, yeah. even yeah. even that within yeah. certain genuses, there <laughs> there are natives and non-natives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have yeah. to, my viburnum, I love my Korean <laughs> spice viburnum. Oh, it's really yeah. tough. All right, we're going to keep you around for, for one more segment. Okay, that's Scott Stewart from Millennium Park Foundation. We'll be right back. A good day's gardening can sometimes be a bad day for your muscles and joints. Dr. Bonnie Flaster is a chiropractor who uses gentle, non-force adjustments to relieve pain. With 29 years of experience, she relies on a variety of treatments, including low-level laser, acupuncture, and gentle chiropractic. Visit her at River North Wellness Center and find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. Hi, this is Ron Calgill from Mighty House. Are you looking for a cool ride that you can plug in so you can flip off the guy at the gas station? The Illinois Solar Energy Association is raffling off a 2017 Tesla Model X, and only 2,500 tickets will be sold. Go to Illinois Solar and click on the link to the Tesla raffle. You can buy one ticket for $100 or four tickets for $300. All the raffle proceeds will fully benefit the Illinois Solar Energy Association, a nonprofit working to advance solar energy development throughout the state of Illinois. The winner will be drawn on December 7, 2017. That's IllinoisSolar.org. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to lead healthier lives. A Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even keeping your pets healthy. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and healthy cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Hi, this is Blankita Cullum, host of The Hard Question. Join me weekdays at 4 p.m. right here on 1590 WCGO.
Okay, this might be from my hippie phase. Just a little bit, okay? <laughs> I don't know if Pat Fitzgerald is still paying attention, but... Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Scott Stewart is our first hour guest, and uh, we're waxing poetic. And you can. There's a lot to wax poetic about at uh, Millennium Park and uh, all the things that go on there. In fact, we were talking before we move further because we'll lose track of it. There's an event coming up this week. Yes. Yes, there's an an event. I've mentioned a couple of times this morning already, the High Line in New Mm -hmm. York. It's another another one of Pete Uldoff's projects, very Mm -hmm. different than Millennium Park. We have an event coming up where we have the director of horticulture for the High Line, a wonderfully talented and a wonderful individual, Andy Pettis. She will be here in Chicago on Thursday the 9th from 3 to 5 p.m. on the Jay Pretzker Pavilion stage, and she will be talking about her experiences as the director of horticulture for the High Line in New York. Wow. Okay. Free. Free. As, as everything in Millennium Park. Free. Open to the public. Free and open to the public. And, and one of the things, and those of you watching us on Facebook Live know we were talking about this off uh, air here in between the uh, segments about what you can learn, what, what, what you can teach at Millennium Park. And, and, and you want a broader conversation because I know you're, you're, you're one of those guys. You're, you're thinking, <laughs> you know, you might as well be an artist or something. What are you, crazy? <laughs> <laughs> You're no administrator. <laughs> hey, I like the details, but I like the big stuff. It's the big, big stuff yeah. is where the fun stuff is. See, that's is. my problem. I'm all about the big stuff, big picture. I, details, not so much. I'm not into that at all. <laughs> so what can folks learn about life and gardening and, and art uh at Millennium Park as a whole. Absolutely. So, you know, obviously, if you've been to Millennium Park, you know about this wonderfully rich cultural conversation around the art, architecture, the performances, the movies, the 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 dance performances, the musical performances, all of that cultural activity that happens. There's this wonderful conversation around all of that. There's critiques of it. There's newspaper articles of it. It's re- the park is recognized as a as a place for that type of conversation. One of the pieces that uh, in the last year that uh, with a little arm twisting, I've convinced my, my board of directors that the foundation should really be an advocate for at the park is including the conversation around science as a cultural icon or as a cultural element in that same arts and culture conversation here in Chicago. That's what exactly. we exactly Exactly. This is what we're talking about. Exactly. Including that science as part of that cultural conversation, that cultural narrative. Yeah. For me, I mean, I automatically, I'm a gardener, I'm a horticulturalist. I go to the garden as a as a wonderful place to have that conversation. So Lurie Garden, native and non-native plants, people often mistake the non-native plants for native plants. Yeah. They misinterpret the garden. They misread the garden. So maybe there's a wonderful opportunity, and the thought has crossed my mind. There's some drawings on paper already. The thought has crossed my mind that maybe there's some opportunities in the park to change the landscape of the park mm-hmm. to be artistically impressive, artistically meaningful, but also ecologically meaningful. Using native plants, using plants that provide a high degree of ecological value for their garden spaces, and they can then integrate into that cultural conversation about the art, the architecture, and the science of Millennium Park. So are you thinking about this outside of Lurie and yes. more of the park? Of, so Lurie is what it is, is Correct. what you're saying. Correct. Mm-hmm. So you're going outside that. So basically, 
you're going to rip out all the honey locusts because they're a monoculture in there and uh, bring in something else. We we such conversations have occurred. Ah, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to commit to that. <laughs> but yes, it's those kind of ideas about. The and I got nothing against honey. I got nothing against honey locusts. Yeah. They're all over the darn city of Chicago. And and my point is, and you know this. This is what when we had the American Elm everywhere on every block, boom, gone. Yeah. And when we had ashes on every block, boom, gone. And what what's in Chicago left? Honey locust. I can't wait for the insect that comes in to wipe out the honey locust because now we're going to have to go to another tree. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and there's so many of them in Millennium Park right now. Exactly. You, you just look at it and go, okay, maybe we should be going a different direction. Exactly. Here. And this is part of your. This plan. is all part of 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 a long term vision to change. Elements of the tree canopy, not the overall layout. It, the park will not lose the classic lines of Millennium Park. Right. But change some of the tree canopy, diversify, you know, diversify the tree canopy. Maybe change some of the areas that are uh, turf grass and, uh, you know, generic shrubs and a few generic grasses. I got to tell you something. There was an experiment a couple of years ago, several years ago, when Christy Weber went in there and planted edibles, all right, and Anna Maria Leon went in there and they did this and it was the coolest thing and it got nixed they said nope we're not doing that anymore that's not working here and i and i and i have to scratch my head and i think who who said this was a bad idea i want to know you know where why this the kibosh was put on this i don't understand that it, i thought it was one of the most fascinating experiments ever well i think there's an opportunity to bring mm-hmm. an element of that back and it just requires planning and it requires careful planning. And you, some education. And some education. And that's that's what the first round was missing. A little bit of more intensive planning and a little bit more education before yeah. plants went in the ground. So we need to do it again. And we're going to get there. Because Millennium Park, I mean, we have 20 million visitors a year. That means I have 20 million opportunities to educate people about the value of diverse urban eco- plant ecosystems, the ability for urban spaces to produce food, the ability for urban spaces to be refuges for birds, for insects, uh, the ability of this urban ecosystem to function as more than just a place to come see a free concert, which you should and absolutely sure. do, but it should be something more, and it can be something more. Go ahead. And as you were saying, going back to what you said way back in the show, people are visual. As you start seeing these plants integrated into the the landscape, it becomes the new norm. It starts shifting what you expect to see. Exactly, exactly. And what better place to try to begin demonstrating that than the top tourist attraction Mm -hmm. in the state of Illinois? Mm -hmm. And one of the top five tourist attractions in the entire country uh, and and I learned something last year when I heard you speak uh, that we the number of people come through you you're saying five million it might be much higher than that it's really hard for us to quantify that isn't it no we we we're pretty confident that we have almost twenty million visitors a year that come through that park wow so you think okay last year I was looking at numbers mm-hmm. that were smaller so you've you've upgraded that correct and correct you, we've we we learned to count. We got more fingers and toes involved. <laughs> lined people up and just started counting. You know, we we yeah. got we've we've gotten uh, more precise in the science of how we count people in the park. Fabulous. So twenty million people. My feeling is, and you know, I'm I'm a cranky old guy. Uh, they they're not going to learn anything from boxwoods and use in a row. That's they can see that anywhere in the world. All right. 
do something different. And I'm so glad to hear you saying that, that you've got these. So this is why they brought you on board, huh? <laughs> so this That's is, why they brought the science this, guy. This is why they taught him the secret handshake, okay, <laughs> so that uh, he, could, he could do stuff like this. Uh, okay, uh, we're, uh, we got about, what, about a minute left there, uh, Brandon? Okay, cool. Uh, if folks want to uh, learn more about the Millennium Park Foundation, uh, if they want to have input into what happens there, can they? Can their voices be heard? Absolutely, absolutely. So there's two ways people's voices can be heard. One, through contacting the Millennium Park Foundation, because remember, we are primarily an advocacy group. So you can contact the Millennium Park Foundation, info, I-N-F-O, at mpfdn.org. Or huh? <laughs> want to repeat that so I can type info oh, yeah. at? I got it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Info it, at? Info at MPF, Millennium Park Foundation. Okay. Yeah. MPFDN. DN. DN, dog Nancy. Okay. Dot O-R-G. Okay. Or more easily through the Department of Cultural or Department of, of Cultural Affairs, uh, D-Case, through okay. the city. All right. Yes. All right. And meantime, you got to go down to Millennium Park so you can get your ideas. Take photos, write notes, and then send them to Scott Stewart. Scott, thank you so much. Absolutely. You're, you're welcome anytime. Absolutely. Terrific. Thank you both. Fracking is thank next. You. Captain's log, Stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Welcome to the second hour of The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Call us with your questions and comments at 847-475-1590. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Whenever my head starts to hurt Before it goes from bad to feeling worse I turn off my phone, I get down low And put my hands in the dirt And of course, I try to stop the world from moving so I do that try to get when my plants are staring at me <laughs> Oh, you opened the box No, I, I haven't even Don't say that because Nick might be listening No, I haven't even opened the box yet Okay, and I got a bunch of them I got to get in the ground. But I figured they're sitting there. It's cool weather. Mm-hmm. They're probably fine. It's nice and damp, so they're the, the, happy. The roots are going to grow nice. There's, there's no need right now for the leaves to grow. So if they're in the box, they're, they're okay. And we're going live on Facebook. And Oh, I, good. So my friends on Facebook, Denier, 321 and 
blast off. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We were very happy to be part of the Green Living Expo yesterday at McHenry County College, and one of the things they were doing was pumpkin composting. There's, there were, I guess there were events all yeah. over the city. And the yeah, Kay, Kay from Scarce had written me and said uh, there was over 40 pumpkin composting events that took place yesterday, and some are taking place today. Um, Evanston is one of the cities. It's got the Great Pumpkin Compost. Uh, today's the last day for that. And uh, from 9 to noon, people can go to the Levy Senior Center, 300 Dodge Avenue, and the Morton Civic Center at 2100 Ridge Avenue. I don't think you can bowl your pumpkin, but you can oh, donate see, it. If you can't bowl your pumpkin, what is the point? What is the point? You're I mean, still composting and keeping them oh, out of the oh, landfill. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's right. That's the point. But bowling... Oh, my gosh, that was so much fun. <laughs> and that, if you don't know what we're talking about, you have to go to Facebook on The Mike Novak Show. Yeah, go to uh, uh, The Mike Novak Show and check out a couple of the Facebook things that uh, we put up yesterday, including... Now, I'm looking for the thing I did this week. It was on the Facebook page. Um, I got a... an, an e- Well, I saw something. It was... Uh, who who uh, alerted me? Uh, Casey Tomato uh, alerted me to uh, something that was uh, on Facebook uh, from a guy who, oh, I see now, and I'm not going to get this right because I can't find it, and I thought I could find it because I just got an email from him, and he's going to be on the show, and if I don't explain it properly, I sound like an idiot, so uh, I, I'm not going to guess. I am looking for Casey's email No, 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 Facebook. don't look for, don't. No, on Facebook, and I'm not saying uh, No, no, you don't look, you talk, I'm looking. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> one of us has to talk. Uh, no, we don't, we don't have to do we'll that. We'll let Brandon take over the show. All right, Brandon, what have, what have you got for us, dude? Just kidding. Not not a whole lot. Yeah, that's what I thought. All yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you, know, you know when I will find this, I will find this during the commercial break. Yeah. That's what will happen. But uh, even if it is... Uh, during the, in fact, if I just scroll down, the problem is, you know, I had a friend of mine recently say, uh, was doing a performance, and he said, uh, uh, I said, wow, you should have let me know about that. He said, I did. I, I, I posted it. It was an event on Facebook. I said, do you know how many events I get in the course of a day? Do you have any idea at all? And uh, there's no way I could have possibly. Yeah. Well, speaking of events, we were talking with Scott Stewart the last hour, and um, as as we mentioned off air, Open Lands is having their big annual meeting. Their luncheon. The, the, their luncheon on Thursday, and I'm not and sure. And you and I, I are going to be yeah, going. Yeah, we're going to be there. Scott's going to be there, and I think tickets are still available for that on OpenLands.org, which is a great chance to talk to a lot of the people that you hear on this program. For example, I think I think of it as one of the premier schmoozing events uh, of the year. So, uh, and I think I found the the piece that, uh, here we are, I did. Okay, I found the Casey Tomato. It, 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 the guy's name is Francis Thick. Okay, and yeah. And he posted um, just a couple of days ago, actually. He says, I attended my last meeting of the National Organic Standards Board as a board member this week in Jacksonville, Florida. Here's my swan song that I spoke at the end of the meeting. And then he goes on and talks about all the ways that the organics industry is uh, under pressure, uh, under threat mm-hmm. uh, from commercial interests and from other interests. He says, for one of the things he writes, he says, um, the, 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 one of the things he's learned over time is that industry has an outsized and growing influence on the USDA um, and uh, the uh, 
compared to the influence of organic farmers who started the organic farming movement. Perhaps that's not surprising given the growing value of organic sales as organic is becoming Mm -hmm. a $50 billion business. The industry not only wants a bigger piece of the pie, they want the whole pie. Right. And and the articles this week on hydroponics now being accepted as organic. Yeah. And that's one of the issues he takes. And and I'll be really, really honest. I don't know why hydroponics are so bad. I'm going to, you know, maybe, you know, they're not soil, obviously, and there's there's issues with that. And I would like to hear his his view on that. He also says things like we now have and he uses air quotes here, organic chicken uh, CAFOs with mm-hmm. 200,000 birds crammed into a building with no real access to the outdoors and a chicken industry working behind the scenes to make sure that the animal welfare standards, weak as they were, Never see the light of day just like their chickens. The image consumers have of organic chickens ranging outside has been relegated to pictures on egg cartons. So I wrote to the guy and I said, you're welcome on the show. Come and talk about your, uh, uh, your work at the National Organic Standards Board as a member. And he wrote back within the last couple of minutes and said, yeah, I'll do it. Great. So uh, Francis Thick is going to be on the show very soon. And we will talk about... The threat of organics. Coming back, fracking in Illinois. What's going on? Carrie Leiterson is in the house, and she'll be right here on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color perms and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty, you no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Here's the bad news. One out of every six Americans doesn't know where their next meal will come from. What's the good news? You can help. This year, instead of decorating your holiday table with flowers, use an arrangement of fresh, uncut fruits and veggies, which can be donated to a local food pantry. Share a photo of your centerpiece with the hashtag AmpleCenterpiece, and you could win a $50 gift certificate to Gardner Supply Company. Go to ampleharvest.org holiday to learn more. Chicagoans, use your blue carts to recycle. Bottles, flattened boxes, jugs with the lids on, tin and aluminum cans, juice cartons, and mail. No plastic bags, including store bags, no greasy pizza boxes, styrofoam, disposable coffee cups, light bulbs, napkins, electronics, or shredded paper. Put your items loose in the blue cart and not in a plastic bag. Visit RecycleByCity.com Chicago and let's make Chicago beautiful and green. This is your talk. Do you read me? On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Come on, is anybody even out there? It's jungle out there. Disorder and confusion everywhere. No one seems to care. Well, I do. Hey, who's in charge? 
Sometimes you just got to play this song mm-hmm. because, as we heard in the organic world, the organic food world, it's a jungle out there. I don't know if our guest in the studio heard that as uh, you were sitting out there in the lobby. But uh, she's got her other issues here, and uh, that is the reporter Carrie Leiterson, and it's such a pleasure to have you back here uh, in the studio, although this is a different studio from the one you were in before. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And uh, 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 you should know that Carrie uh, primarily uh, is a writer for Midwest Energy News, but you've written for the Washington Post and you have done uh, stuff for People Magazine, Christian Science Monitor, Crane Chicago Business, The Economist, uh, the you Guardian, know, on and on and on. And uh, she wrote a book called Mayor 1%, Rahm Emanuel and the Rise of Chicago's 99%. And and, uh, and you're teaching at Medill. Yep. <laughs> great. Which is great. My my, uh, my alma mater and yours. Yeah. Can you get us a, an intern or two? Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that after the show. I got I got like three or four different stories I want to start investigating. Oh yeah. Yeah, because I I got some stuff here. The problem is, as you know, you got to yeah you got to get a lot closer oh, okay. to that microphone. Um. The, 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 and she's freezing to death because it's, you know, and this, I got to tell you something, Carrie, this is as warm as it gets this week. Right. This is the best Downhill of the week. from here. Really, yeah. you know, oh. so you better get yourself another jacket because that one's not going to work. Um, and, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all, as you know, as an investigative reporter, especially on the environmental beat, uh, and energy beat, um, it takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, just tracking down stuff is 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 really the hard no, no part kidding, of it. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I you know I feel like we should do we should just do a whole segment on what are your tips for for mm. you know how to hound people, <laughs> <laughs> you know how how to get them to say stuff that they wouldn't normally say, mm-hmm. uh, and how to you know even get get them to say stuff off the record is 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 often an accomplishment, isn't it? Yeah, although I think, I mean, definitely positively, but especially with these environmental stories or housing stories or, you know, a lot of the really complicated investigative stories that aren't getting done enough. It's not, I mean, that's the fun part is actually trying to get people to, you know, to do those interviews. And really what a lot of the work is, is actually just looking through data and documents and just reading to try to understand the issues. So, you know, I mean, with students, I think even sometimes they come into investigative reporting with, um, this image of it being this glamorous thing mm-hmm. where you're hunting people down and, you know, trying to catch them seeing something. And it's actually even kind of much more grueling and boring and time-consuming Well, than yeah, that. sometimes <laughs> it, it's flipping through records and, and right. trying to glean something from that. And if you don't do this all the time, you don't know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm, exactly, yeah. Uh, and so that's why we have to have people like Carrie Leiterson here. And one of the stories, we're, we're going to talk about a couple of things today, and your comments are welcome, and we already have Amtrak Tim on the phone. Tim, we're going to get to you in a second. Don't go away. Uh, he's my old nemesis from uh, uh, Progresso Radio, and I mean that in a good way, Tim. I mean that in a good way. Um, and um, he he's already got a question about fracking, and I'm hoping some other people want to weigh in at 847-475-1590, 847-475-1590. If you forget the number, go to MikeNovak.net, and we've got it right there, or the Facebook page. We've got the number up there, and you can call in, and we hope you will be part of this conversation because it's really important. When I 
first contacted you, which was now two months ago, to be on the show, and sometimes it takes that long to get these things done, you had just written an article about uh, how uh, Woolsey Company uh, was uh, planning to do fracking in southern Illinois, and it was, uh-oh, yeah, and, we, and, we, and, and to even talk about that, we got to back up to 2013 when the new fracking law was passed in Illinois, which was, wow, was that, were, were those interesting times? Because I, I was talking about it on my show and talking with a lot of my environmentalists. That was sort of internecine war in the environmental community uh, because what happened was the state sat down with the, the fracking interests, the business, the industry, uh, and with environmentalists, and then you had the lawmakers, and they were, you know, and then they all closed the doors in the room and punched each other until they worked out an agreement. Um, and it was called the toughest fracking law in the country, the gold standard. We finally had something in Illinois mm-hmm. that was the gold standard for anything, for environmental law in the country, which is not usual for Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh and it was this fracking law, and yet there were environmental groups who were who were yelling at each other and saying, "You sold out. It should have been a moratorium. It should have been a moratorium. What do you think you're doing? You sold. You to, you total traitor to the cause." And it got ugly. Uh, really, it got ugly. I saw and talked to some people who were personally attacked, and I'm not going to name names here. Um, people in the in the environmental movement know what was going mm-hmm. on. And they know what was happening. And, and, yeah, there was a lot of passion. But the passion has not abated, really, now because we had this company come in in August and say, hey, we're going to under the – we're the first company under the new law to come a call in and say we want to frack in southern Illinois. And so, they get a permit. And and they got a permit. So that's that's where we go. In August, you wrote about it, Carrie Leiterson. And you, they were applying for the permit, and there was a there was a, a, a session. Uh, what what do they call it? the comment period where mm-hmm. where people could weigh in? And what was going on at, at that point uh, with the company? Yeah, well, I mean, I think even you know part of what's so kind of difficult and um, interesting about the whole fracking story in Illinois at this point, like even when you said they came in saying that we want to frack, they weren't actually saying that they. And then they've withdrawn. I'm sure you were going to get right. to this. Yeah, they, you know, just in the past couple of days, actually withdrew this permit. So, you know, really, like, um, just to add a little more context to the background you were giving, there was this period when, um, you know, fracking was really hot. This is when oil prices were high because um, you can do fracking for both oil and gas. And mm-hmm. in Illinois, it was, um, you know, it's mostly oil that would be fracked for. So there was this rush. All these companies wanted to potentially be able to frack. And then right around the same time well and we got it we got to say before no 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 <laughs> yeah. it's okay I, I i always interject things uh, <laughs> I, it, to put it in context before 2013 and the law got passed it was the wild west in illinois mm-hmm. for 100 bucks you could get a permit and you just threw it down yeah. there and say we're gonna mm-hmm. frack and, and this is for the horizontal fracking mm-hmm. was what the new law right was for. the yeah not high, the, the straight volume. volume exactly uh, you know yeah. hydraulic fracturing is the uh, uh, the official name but everybody calls it fracking mm-hmm. 
Uh, but so continue. Yeah. So, I mean, so the point being that um, then the oil prices dropped pretty much right after, right as those rules were being passed. And then we suddenly had these rules that the industry had been, you know, in, it, the industry was actually sort of clamoring for the rules when it when it was clear that there were going to be rules because they were just wanted certainty, as they always say. Then finally, we got those rules and then no one wanted to frack because oil prices had plummeted to more than half to less than half what they had been. So, you know, when Woolsey applied for this permit in the summer, I don't think it was clear at all that they actually intended to frack. But, you know, I think it was um, they just wanted to get something to get that permit ready. And you see this. I cover hard rock mining a lot. You see this with mining all the time. Companies will apply for permits when they're not actually, you know, they don't know if they're going to do it or not, but they want to have all their ducks in a row. So if Mm -hmm. oil prices increase, then they can go ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. And it can also really um, work to their advantage in terms of the environmental watchdogs, because if they get a permit at a time when, you know, the debate about fracking has largely died down because no one wants to do it anymore, if they get the permit during that climate, they might face less resistance. And then once oil prices increase, if they already have the permit in place, you know, then as the debate ramps up again, they don't need to fight that fight because they have the permit. Um, So, yeah, but that brings us up to the present. (laughs) Well, and and the question here is there's there's still a lot of questions. Um, I saw a, um, a, a a news release from Illinois Food and Water Watch. Well, actually, probably National Food and Water Watch. And they said, yay, they withdrew, withdrew the permit. Now's the time to establish the moratorium. And you know, and my question is, eh, we got a law. I, I really don't see a moratorium happening mm-hmm. because there's this law that's supposedly still the gold standard. And, but the question arises, Woolsey... Did they not decide to go forward because of the law, or was it that the price of oil is 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 not where it used to be, or is it both? Is it a combination of things? What is exact in your opinion, Carrie? What do you think is going on here? Yeah, well, I mean, it's both because the price of oil, the law does increase, or I mean, industry says it increases the price of doing business, and it it makes sense that it does because at least if the law is really enforced, then they have to, you know, it limits how cheaply they can potentially dispose of their wastewater, and you know, by creating at least some um, higher standards for Mm -hmm. the operations that makes them more expensive. So then that just figures into the math with the price of oil. If oil gets um, expensive enough, you know, it'll still be worth their while even with the regulations. Whereas, you know, with oil prices low, it might be worth their while to frack in Kansas or somewhere that doesn't have the regulations, but it won't be here. Um, But they knew all this when they applied for the permit in August. I mean, nothing has changed since August. Um, So yeah, there's a I've got a quote from Mark Suter, 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 Woolsey's vice president of business development. Yeah. And he basically said what you're saying, that consideration of the current price of oil and gas, the difficult regulatory environment in Illinois and our opportunities in other states, they're going to discontinue horizontal fracking and go to a state with a, quote, pro-business attitude and functional oil gas regulatory climate. Ooh, them's fighting words. Ooh, you know. He, We're packing up our toys and going to another you know, shale lot. He should be in that commercial with Scott Walker and all those governors from the other states congratulating Mike Madigan on on uh, sending business to other states, uh, except that there's the problem is there's a bunch of people in Illinois, and a lot of them are homeowners jumping up and down and saying, yay, no fracking, mm-hmm. because uh, we're going to be able to stay in our houses. Um, so 
the point here, I guess, is the law did work in a sense. Right. I mean, because not I mean, or not, I guess it's, you know, it's all relative. But back in the summer, what um, people were upset about was that even though the law, you know, could be considered pretty strong, um, like any law, it just depends how well it's enforced. And on the permitting side, the advocates because Woolsey was granted the permit. And um, back in August, and advocates were really upset that they it, to them it okay, didn't and, appear. And we gotta, okay, let's stop there too because <laughs> uh, there was that's the other thing. And and we at some point we got to get into the whole IDNR thing mm-hmm. uh, uh, because over my years of doing this and covering these issues, and and I'm speaking again, I'm a big picture guy, and sometimes <laughs> the details <laughs> escape me. But IDNR. Ha, is 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 a schizoid agency it's it's mandated to protect our environment and exploit it at the same time and i don't know how they they do that well i mean it's called the department of natural resources so you know we have the illinois epa separately that's supposed to also supposed to well, protect and, the environment and, and i don't um, think the iep <laughs> and, and, and there's not a lot of respect for the iepa among <clears throat> environmentalists in the state of illinois i'm sorry it just doesn't exist yeah, so that IDNR, I mean, you know, both of them, there's a lot of, and this would be true even more so under Rauner's administration, but even before that, and yeah. this isn't unique to Illinois. I mean, many states, it's, you know, pretty commonly held belief that those agencies do a lot more to facilitate Well, you know, you could, you could look nationally as well, because there's a lot of people who think that the U.S. Forest Service is the same as the U.S. Park Service, and it's really not. The mm-hmm. U.S. Forest Service is one of those agencies that facilitates lumber removal and exploitation of natural resources. And I learned this by having a house on uh, National Forest Service land for 17 years. So I know how they operate. (laughs) All right. And it's very different from the park. And the the park jurisdiction was across the lake. This was out in the Pacific Northwest. U.S. uh, Park Service was across the lake. You couldn't touch that land. Mm-hmm. Nothing ever happened to that mm-hmm. land. On the U.S. Forest Service side, it was being logged all the time. Yeah, it's mineral and logging. Yeah, exactly. So it's very, very well, different. They call it, I like the slogan they use on some of the Forest Service land, um, land of many uses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so what can we be learning from what happened with with the Woolsey? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the important, because, you know, who knows what will happen with the price of oil. But, I mean, most likely at some point in the future it will increase again. So I think the issue really is how well the IDNR is going to um, follow the law. And it's not even, I mean, it's not even just the new law. It's the whole, you know, process that's supposed Mm -hmm. to happen when someone does get a permit. How seriously do they take the public comments and how um, strict are they with making sure that, you know, the permits they grant actually do comply with the law? Because it will come up again, presumably, once, you know, once companies want to frack again. Yeah, and it, and and to me, it's it it is a little. It, it happened very fast. Okay, let me put it this way: in August, we find out that they're they're applying. And by September, they had the okay from the IDNR. Yeah, I mean the process. It's a certain timetable, so yeah. I don't know if it was any faster than usual. I it mean, felt like it. Okay, let me put it that way to yeah. the public. It seemed yeah. fast. Um, yeah, I mean, there's you know there's a public comment period open, and that it's mandated to be open for a certain amount of time and the advocacy groups and particularly the group safe the the grassroots group in southern illinois do a really great job of um mobilizing people Mm -hmm. and making sure and there were a lot of you know even though it may have seemed fast there were a lot of public comments 
made during that period. So, you know, the kind of bigger concern is did the IDNR really take those to heart? Did it do due diligence? And and, and the groups that are uh, voicing their concerns now say no, that the, the, the permit was flawed. Uh, and but he got approved anyway, so that doesn't say much about the law that got passed and and its implementation. Yeah, especially because the company had had a lot of prior violations. Um, yeah, and and concerns, especially in other states, with how it was doing business, and they'd gotten in trouble for um, injecting diesel into the grounds um, in another state without a permit, mm-hmm. which you are allowed to do that, apparently, if you have a permit to do it, which that's kind of disturbing to learn yeah. in its own yeah. right. Okay. But, um, that's yeah. Carrie Leiterson, who's a reporter for Midwest Energy News. We're talking about fracking in the state of Illinois. Amtrak Tim, you're next. When we come back, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, 847-475-1590. Did you know it can take up to three liters of water to produce just one liter of bottled water? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Over 22 billion water bottles end up in landfills each year, and far too many end up in our oceans and waterways. According to the Environmental Working Group, about 40% of bottled water is actually regular tap water that may or may not have gotten any additional treatment. They also confirmed there was at least 38 different low-level contaminants in bottled water and an average of eight chemicals. So, ditch the plastic water bottles, folks. Choose to filter water and use reusable bottles for your own health and to reduce plastic waste in landfills. I'm Green Diva Meg. Please visit thegreendivas.com to find useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and, of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. A good day's gardening can sometimes be a bad day for your muscles and joints. Dr. Bonnie Flaster is a chiropractor who uses gentle, non-force adjustments to relieve pain. With 29 years of experience, she relies on a variety of treatments, including low-level laser, acupuncture, and gentle chiropractic. Visit her at River North Wellness Center and find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please, support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at mikenovak.net. Find out what's going on in Evanston. Tune in to Haggerty's Huddle every other Monday on French and Friends. Brought to you by Chicago Lee Magazine. Name the city's top magazine. Don't just read more, read better. Wish it was a freight train, baby. Wish it was a diesel locomotive. I come whistle down that track. And I crash right through your door. Wish it was a freight train, baby. Wish it didn't have a heart. You need a shovel full of coal. Just to get me started. Wish it was a freight train, baby. Wish it was a Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Those are my, I'm not even sure they're around anymore, the Hillbilly Winos. You might recognize the the voice. That's uh, the guy who does the uh, opening theme, Good Planets Are Hard to Find. So those are the Hillbilly Winos. Uh, That was his side job? um, What do you mean? In in the Hillbilly Winos. Because Good Planets was... 
Doesn't he go by his own name on that? Who? The what? The guy who sings Good Planets. Yeah. So I'm saying Hillbilly Winos was his side job from. No, that was the band that did okay. the Good Planets version. Okay. They they didn't write Good Planets are hard to find. Uh, but they sang it. That's where I have that recording. Uh, we're talking to Carrie Leiterson here in the studio um, about fracking in Illinois. We're going to get to um, also uh, we're going to get to uh, energy, solar energy in a second, because you've been writing a lot about that. But before we do that, we need to go to the phone lines. Let's uh, bring in Amtrak. Tim, Tim, it's been a long time. How are you, buddy? <laughs> Doing good, pretty, pretty good, Mike. I just uh, just finished uh, a hike in the morning, and I turned on the radio, and there you were, and it's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think it's awesome too, but uh, that uh, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Uh, what do you got to say about this? Well, basically, I, I think you know, leading into solar energy on a on a day like today, it's a great discussion because yeah. I think the advocates of wind and solar, you know, a dead calm day with cloudy skies. I you know I I my my question about fracking is is how are you going to make wind and solar work without natural gas backup and natural gas backup is a is a very kind way of saying using burning frack gas I mean in the times when you don't have the sun and the wind I mean most environmentalists oppose using the strong force to create electricity not all not all environmentalists oppose using the strong force but quite a number of them do yeah um, well, that's a really good point. And it is confusing. You know, in Illinois, obviously, fracking um, is often for natural gas, but in Illinois, it would actually be for oil. So that's not, you know, as relevant to our fracking debate here in Illinois, but more generally on um, electricity. Uh, the big, you know, the big missing piece to the wind and solar is improved battery storage. Yes. Um, and I think it's, you know, I don't think most environmentalists want a total ban or think it's realistic to, you know, not have natural gas fired power anytime in the foreseeable future for I th- that's pretty well accepted that, you know, that's going to be part of our energy mix for a while. And it is much cleaner than coal. Um, but battery storage, you know, their advances are happening really quickly. And if you get good enough batteries, it would be a lot more realistic that you could get a really huge or, you know, maybe even someday um, all of your energy from wind and solar because you can store it from the times well, one, that it's. One thing people don't realize about those batteries, I'm, I'm a chemist by training and uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And those batteries, their manufacture creates a tremendous amount of nuclear waste because thorium is produced. The, the rarest elements that are required for the batteries you're talking about um, make a lot of nuclear waste. And I haven't heard any environmentalists, especially all, wind, wind power also creates a lot of mm-hmm. thorium nuclear waste. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I haven't heard environmentalists address the nuclear waste issue with their so-called green energy, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's batteries or mm-hmm. it's wind power, to a lesser degree solar, but wind and battery power creates a lot of thorium nuclear waste. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I've heard that. I don't even know as much about the specifics of that. But even in addition to the nuclear waste, I mean, it's mining rare earth um, metals. And, you know, yeah, there's no, there's definitely environmental impacts to renewable energy also, which I guess is um, an argument for also just conserving energy, you know, using less electricity, period. Well, and well, and this takes us to where... Part of, and since I have a little background with you, Tim, I know where mm-hmm. you're going with some of this, and that's thorium <laughs> nuclear power, um, which uh, you introduced me to. Safest, most efficient power on the planet. Oh, there we go. We've got our uh, our, our our thorium. You got it. You got a, an ally here uh, in our engineer, Brandon, uh, Tim. Uh, 
I've had the Thorium people talk on my show, and I keep track of it. I, know. I, I watch it, uh, and I don't. I don't know why there is not a breakthrough in thorium technology, and that always gives me pause, Tim. Well, the re- well, what's going on right now is that the United since since the environmentalists have, have so have so demonized um, nuclear energy using the strong force. That's a, that's, a, that's a colloquialism for using nuclear energy. Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of a Star Wars <laughs> thing, right? Is that yeah, is exactly. That? <laughs> I kind of don't call it nuclear energy. Call it's the the strong forces which are actually utilizing to make nuclear power. Right, but and but. What's happening is in China right now, they've got over 300 scientists working on thorium nuclear energy. So what's going to end up happening if we don't deal with it here in the United States is all these energies that you, everybody's promoting so, so strongly here will all be manufactured in China, mm-hmm. and then we'll reimport them. We'll make none of it here, and then the Chinese will then take the waste products from making all the green energy that we want, right? Mm-hmm. And then they'll make, they'll make their own power, and they'll become such an energy-efficient economy compared to us that they will economically destroy us. Well, we got a guy in the White House who thinks he's bringing coal back. This is where we are in the United States, all right? So, yeah, no, I know. I, I completely agree. Coal is just a joke. I, well, it is a joke. Uh, unfortunately, the most powerful man in the entire world thinks that that's going to happen, all right? So when we have a delusional human being that is controlling our energy policy— how do we move forward? You're talking about thorium, and, and we've discussed this on my show. You know, you say China's working on it. I want to know why the United States isn't doing more on it. If it is so clean, and Brandon, and I'd love to have Brandon weigh in on some point. It's the fear of the nuclear meltdowns. Uh, things like Chernobyl didn't happen nearly as bad as they were reported to you as. You can live in Chernobyl. People are just scared to. Same with Three Mile well, Island. Thing, thing I, I, I will take issue about. with that. I would love to, to have that debate well, at some point. The thing about Chernobyl The thing about Chernobyl is Chernobyl was not a power plant primarily. Chernobyl was primarily designed for making nuclear weapons. And I am totally hmm. against nuclear weapons. Uh I, I would hope so, and I'm glad you are. You know, and I'll tell you what, you know, maybe it's time to have another segment about the thorium energy, and we can go that route, because I wasn't aware of the connection with storage. But we have to get to the storage issue. And as, and I think Carrie rightly pointed out uh, to your question, Tim, that nobody thinks we're going to get rid of all the gas and oil. That's not going to happen, and I don't think anybody who's promoting uh, solar or, or uh, wind energy thinks that that's going to happen uh, immediately. Uh, it's got to get to the point where it's negligible so that we can get by without killing ourselves uh, with carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. So that's well, yeah, I'm, I'm in a total agreement. I think we need to completely cold turkey on carbon. Yeah, so— uh, well, I got to let you go, Tim, because we want right. to get to a couple of other things. But, hey, I'm glad you were listening. Thanks for calling. Do it again sometime. Uh, write Will to do. me. Maybe we'll do that thorium discussion soon. <laughs> All righty. All right. Take care. Bye. He didn't sound that happy. I'm sorry. I didn't. <laughs> All right. read up on thorium. Oh, 847-475-1590. Give us your thorium <laughs> energy stories. Uh, no, no. Seriously, I mean, he's got, he raises a good point. There are other technologies out there. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, where, I mean, just the government's whole role, and that's another thing, along with just the crazy focus on coal that's disturbing about the Trump administration. I mean... There's a need. Oh, same you with said the... those. You put those two words together. Please tell me. Okay. <laughs> Disturbing in Trump administration. No, Trump and oh. administration. Oh, those right, right. two words. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, you know, all these technologies, um, there's so much about the energy system that, you know, there really are common sense solutions to. And I mean, a lot happened under Obama with the Department of Energy to really boost technology and to invest in battery storage and solar. And some of those things are are still going. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if we don't have a federal government with some kind of coherent future forward-looking energy policy. I mean, no experimental technology. And what I'm talking about aren't experimental, but, you know, if there is something to be said for thorium, I mean, it's not just going to, nothing's just going to pop up on its own when it's competing with all these entrenched fossil fuel interests. Well, the the point is, it it seems to me, uh, you know, bringing Tim back into this and other uh, uh, alternative technologies, if we're not actually actively pursuing those so we can find out if they might work better than what we have, we're in trouble. We're, we're actually moving backward. While well, everyone at, else is moving while forward. While everyone, and you know, and if China does, and China has the advantage of not being a democracy, and so they can mm-hmm. decree, and, and that's what Trump wants, but it's not mm-hmm. going to happen here. He can't decree things. He has to work with Congress, you know, unless there's you know, something really bad happens here, and I'm not going to go down that road. But he's got to work with Congress to, to, to get things done, whereas China can, by decree, say this is going to – and they are. Mm-hmm. And and what was it? They're, they're, they've decided that they're not going to have com- internal combustion mm-hmm. engines by when? What was it? 2020-something. And uh, – we have we we can't mm-hmm. even get our mileage standards up to mm-hmm. fifty four. We were with we were with students yesterday at McHenry County College who have a vehicle that gets uh, a thousand miles per gallon. All right, so the technology mm-hmm. exists even if we were to stick with gas and oil, but we refuse to mm-hmm. let that go forward because we have an auto industry that's the entrenched in the entrenched corporate. money people Do you want to know what stalled mm-hmm. gas efficiency? What? Safety standards. I don't believe that for our <laughs> heartbeat brand cars weigh as much today as they did in World War II. The what? The cars today weigh about as much as they did in the 40s and 50s. Okay, so Well, that's Well, why because you got SUVs. I mean, we had we had I mean, smaller like cars for a long time. Cars. Yeah. It's I, I know cuz I've done the same thing cuz you wonder why we didn't jump in massive fuel economy. It's because cars weigh about the same. I don't believe that the... Okay, this is where I will take you on because I don't believe they can't overcome that. Okay? I just don't believe it for a second. Well, so Um, you were talking with the kid yesterday about the aerodynamics. Yeah. How they have to make it worse Mm -hmm. aerodynamically because of safety. That plays into it, too. Yeah. Well, okay. After the show, we're going to duke it out, me and Brandon. All right. All right. right. Uh, We need to get to the uh, Future Energy Jobs Act, which... Uh, passed in Illinois and got signed, uh, what, in December of last year, last right? Last year, yeah. Yeah, and then there were some question. Of, there's there's always questions about it. even the laws that get passed. I mean, here we, we, you know, to wrap up the fracking thing, we still don't know if that law is working, whether it, they pull, Woolsey pulled out just because it's, it's economically not viable, mm-hmm. um, whether others will come in. You know, what, what happens when the price of oil goes back up to $100 a barrel? Mm-hmm. Um, are we going to be flooded with fracking permits in Illinois? And is it time for a moratorium? And there are a lot of people who want that to happen. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> We're not going to resolve that question today. So when we come back, we'll talk about the... Um, the Future Energy Jobs Act, uh, opening the door to solar. And in, the Mayor's Caucus and the article mayor's, you just wrote. Right, oh, okay. <laughs> that you just wrote about how municipalities might get together to 
have solar power in their communities working as communities. So it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. That's Carrie Leiterson. We'll be right back. Hey, Ron Cowgill. Yes, Mike Novak. How would you like to drive the safest, quickest, and most capable sports utility vehicle in history? Legally? Of course legally. In fact, you would own it. Legally? Stop saying that. I'm talking about the Illinois Solar Energy Association, which is raffling off a 2017 Tesla Model X. You mean the one that comes standard, all-wheel drive, seating for up to seven adults, and up to 295 miles of range on a single charge? Yes. The one that can accelerate from zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds? Yes. How did you know that? I'm reading the script. Oh, well, then you probably know that only 2,500 tickets will be sold. They're 100 bucks each. You can purchase as many as you like, and the drawing is December 7th. Do I have to be present to win? Nope. Do I have to live in Illinois? Nope, just the lower 48 states. Is this the part where we read the disclaimer stuff really, really fast? Nah, this is where we tell people to get details at IllinoisSolar.org. You're good. Yeah. After a big party is over, the people get to go home, but all the decorations get thrown in the trash. That's why there's random acts of flowers. RAF collects flowers used at weddings, memorial services, and community events, then repurposes them into beautiful bouquets to deliver to people in healthcare facilities. It's a small and simple gesture, but when you see the smiles on people's faces, it's more than worth it. To learn more, call 847-430-4751 or go online at rafchicago.org. Hi, folks. The Mike Novak Show is moving. No, it's not. Well, we won't be live on Saturday mornings anymore. Yes, but we'll still be right here live on Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Just like the old days. You mean last week? Yeah, something like that. So, what's the deal? The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is leaving Saturdays and staying on Sundays right here on 1590 WCGO starting November 11th. I get it. You get it in. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Sundays from 9 to 11, only on Smart Talk. What is this place? You're in uncharted territory. What do you mean? Where are we? I don't know if you've heard this. I don't know what it is. Tell us your name, please. 1590. WCGO Chicago. energy and this is definitely not your hippie days no <laughs> all right welcome back people don't play enough of the ohio players that's, <laughs> that's all i'm saying uh welcome back to the mike novak show with peggy malecki carrie leiterson uh, reporter for midwest energy news and a bunch of other places is here in the studio we're talking various environmental issues basically two fracking and and solar uh, and you've been writing a lot about the uh, solar stuff um, and um, uh, the effects of the law that got signed in December, as we just mentioned, the uh, Future Energy Jobs Act. Uh, and one of the things, where, where do you want to start with that? Is there something you'd like to say about that as, as we move forward? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, one of the, you know, you talked about the fighting over the fracking law, but I mean, this energy bill um, was like that on steroids, just in terms of the complexity of all the things that were being negotiated. And, you know, oh my, a lot it of took the fighting years, that it took and, years, yeah. maybe you could probably probably say a decade to put that thing together. Yeah, yeah. And it was it had all different iterations. And, you know, one of the big things that's not actually even talked about much anymore is that uh, bailing, as the critics would say, bailing out the nuclear plants was kind of what started that whole bill and what ended up ultimately, 
getting it passed. Um, I, I think so. there's not enough attention attention paid to that right now. I mean, and and, and I understand that on the part of uh, some uh, entities uh, that. They want to think uh, about the positive and the positive. It really did open the door for solar energy Mm -hmm. in Illinois. But still, it was a bailout for the nuclear uh, industry in Illinois. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Positively. I mean, it gave them, you know, money. It guaranteed them money from ratepayers that they weren't going to get on the market to make sure that those plants stayed open. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that was a, a huge part of it. And, you know, part of the really intriguing and crazy negotiations behind the scene and, and national lobbying that was going on. Um, so anyway, so, you know, those nuclear plants in Illinois are staying open um, because of that bill. And then that um, could lead to the, you know, theor- I mean, the coal plants are in the process of closing all over the country. And then that's one of the, um, there's so much, this could go in so many different directions, but um, that's one of the things going on now, too, is that the owner of the coal plants or some of the coal plants, Dynagy, is trying to get changes made in the way the markets are operated so they have a better chance of keeping those coal plants open. Um, And, you know, maybe the coal plants would even be in a better, they would be in a better situation financially if the nuclear plants had closed, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, for clean air. It's probably good the nuclear plants are staying open for the time being. There's just so many different um, factors at play. And then, so, you know, one of the, one of numerous big stories coming out of that energy bill is the solar component. And it calls for, um, increasing our solar capacity in Illinois from about 75 megawatts today to up to 3000 megawatts. So that's, you know, what a 50 fold increase or something. Um, so that's huge. And one of the things I think will be really interesting is how that actually plays out. And if it does, really happen and um, if the state is able to, you know, kind of create the market um, to make sure that, you know, people do decide to invest their own money in solar, mm-hmm. um, along with the, just the total megawatts that I mentioned, which is big in its own right, about half of it is supposed to come from um, smaller distributed installations. So, you know, it's relatively easier for a utility or for a a power company to do a a big solar farm where you knock out a lot of megawatts all at once. Um, But to encourage, you know, solar to just proliferate in all these smaller installations that individual people or companies, you know, with the help of um, some supports ultimately have to pay for is big. Or municipalities, as you wrote just a couple of days ago about the Metropolitan Mayor's Caucus working with Solar Foundation um, as you write, to help municipalities get simultaneously certified uh, under the U.S. Department of Energy Soul Smart program, uh, part of the Sunshot Initiative. What is that all about? Yeah, so that um, so that's actually aimed at making just the permitting easier, mm-hmm. so municipalities can make it easier for individual people or businesses. And Chicago's done this already. Chicago's kind of been a leader on this front. And um, Evanston too. What's that? And Evanston, and Evanston. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, just making it easier, just kind of common sense stuff where it's not as costly and complicated to get solar panels on your building if you want to. Um, And the one thing that's interesting about the suburbs is, you know, these are places where there's hardly any. There's literally like a handful of solar installations, you know, in most of these 
villages and suburbs. So, well, is that because it's been held up by the, it's been not consumer friendly in Illinois for so long? Yeah, and it's not, and it's the consumer friendliness is actually happens more on a local level than a state level. So that's where the lo- you know, the municipality actually can make a big difference, even regardless of what the state's doing in making it just easier. Yeah, to and, get solar and uniform across communities. Right. So, so then, that an installer can. Yeah, exactly. The installer doesn't need to learn a whole new set of rules just for one little village. And Peggy was doing something you found online with uh, what was the Google Maps thing that... uh, Uh, Yeah, it's the Google Solar where you can... Yeah, to show you um, how good your area... Like, is it the sun resources? It's off the... The sunroof? Yeah, Google Solar is up on the Hawthorne Woods Right, right. Uh Oh, so you had to go... Yeah, that's a cool little tool. It shows you... um, where solar is installed. I don't know if it's 100% up to date, but it shows you how much solar is in a community. And it shows you your own roof. You can look at the exact address and get some idea on... We did it on Mighty House. Uh It's uh, apparently very, very accurate because we had that solar lady that he knows come in. Uh, Oh, Elisa Albrecht. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she said it's very, very accurate. That's how she gauges when someone calls her to ask for solar. Great. Okay. You know, I, I, yeah. Project Sunroof. Project yeah, Project. Yeah. Go to Project Sunroof. Yeah. Google.com slash get slash sunroof or just Google Project Sunroof. Oh, you yeah. have to do it through Google. So it can show okay. you the potential for your own building. Yeah. Right. Or, right. Yeah. Put this down right now. Uh, put, you know mine? No, but I can put mine. Uh, no, I want to put mine because because Lisa Albrecht is always telling me your house your house isn't right. It's uh it's it's in the wrong direction. It's uh, it's like come on, give me a break here. I I'm a guy who would actually might put solar up on there, and I've been fighting there that. You there you go. So so the orange color tells you something, and the yellow color tells you something. Yeah, there's a. There's a legend at the bottom. All right, the lighter it gets, the better. And I'm going to type mine in there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a legend um, that you can go and it's going to show the best places on the house and and you know no doubt the bright yellow is where to the south where you're going to want to put uh, your solar panels and not on a west or east facing or north facing. So. So going back to while Mike's doing that, going back to this mayor's caucus. how many communities have come on board with it? Yeah, I think that's like uh, 13, which is the biggest collaboration in this mm-hmm. particular project in the country. And, you know, this is just one of many. I mean, it's not like that is going to change the landscape of solar in Look Illinois, but just one of many different Look efforts that, that are going on. Yeah, um, I got purple on mine. I don't yeah. even have you. So, I can't, I so can't put solar no on solar. it. So we've got that's about a, a good, minute. But so, I mean, that's a, a good opening to say, too, for the whole concept of community solar, people that live in apartment buildings or right. that don't have good solar resources. Yeah. That's one of the things the law is meant to incentivize, too, is people to be able to buy shares into yeah. a larger solar installation that they can still be part of. And um, I saw you talk to McHenry County Defenders. Um, oh, right. And that's a group out in McHenry County that was at the event yesterday, and they're looking to do community solar. Mm. Yeah, so that's, you know, there's just all these different ways that solar can happen. Um, again, if there's, you know, if the utility and the local government and now the state mark, this market, the state will be running and mm-hmm. solar credits, if these things can all just kind of coalesce to make it um, attractive for enough people to do it. Well, that music means that we're flat <laughs> out of time. So and it also means that you got to come back. Okay. I, no, I'd love to. If you're interested, I'd love to have you weigh in on some of these uh, issues because you write about them so often and uh, if you just want to talk 
Um, here we are. We're, we're a right. resource. All right. Carrie Leiderson, Midwest Energy News. Also want to thank Scott Stewart from the Millennium Park Foundation. Uh, we'll be back next week, Sunday, not Saturday, 9 to 11. Until then, go green or go home. Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.